It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. I really, really thought that we were going to have to do an emergency Rico Bronia and we were going to have to talk about Brandon Nimmo being out for the season. That's what I honestly thought late Friday night when Brandon Nimmo down in Florida at a spring training game awkwardly slides into second base and I could have sworn his ACL was gone. So if we had done a podcast on Friday night, and I was thinking about it, I was so close to calling up Pete saying, let's do it. Let's be ahead of the curve here, as opposed to the Diaz injury. I think we would have written the obituary, uh, obituary, whatever, for Brandon M.O. season. But luckily, sometimes we get good news. And we got great news about Nimmo. It's just a sprain of the knee a sprain of the ankle. So we'll talk about that, plus many other things, including how the New York Mets topped themselves with their season ticket holder gift in 2023, plus a six-man rotation, more fallout from Edwin Diaz's injury, and a lot more on today's Rico Bronia. But the Nimmo thing was scary, man. It really was. On Friday night, the Mets are playing an exhibition game. I don't know how many people are watching it, They've got Gary Apple and Todd Zeal doing the call. No offense to them, but, I mean, when it's Gary Apple and Todd Zeal, they're telling you nobody cares. You got Team USA playing in the World Baseball Classic. So if you're a baseball fan, diehard baseball fan, maybe you're watching that. I don't know if you're watching the Mets play a spring training game. And I happened to be flipping around. I was doing my flipping abilities. And I flipped over and saw them playing the replay of the Brandon Nimmo injury. So I very quickly rewind it because everything's on DVR and I saw it and I was sick to my stomach. And there's a few reactions you could have. Number one, your reaction could be, are you, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what are we cursed? The hell is going on? Your second reaction could be calm down. We don't know. Let's wait for the MRI. And then the third reaction. And I, even though I believe this and I understand this point of view, I didn't want to get involved in this. And that's the idea of using Nemo getting hurt in a spring training game to kind of fight with those that are anti WBC and compare it to Edwin Diaz. And the reason why I don't want to do that is because it's stupid. Like we get it. You can get hurt anywhere. You can get hurt in Florida. You can get hurt in the WBC. You can get hurt playing baseball. You can get hurt walking into your locker room, ask Mike Soroka. You can get hurt doing a million different things. And we all know that. So I, what I saw, and I quickly shut down social media, was using Nimmo's injury as a justification of, you see, WBC is not too bad. And look, I don't think the WBC is bad. So I'm not like trying to argue that point. I'm just trying to say, are we really going to do this? And then Altuve gets hurt the next night or that night, I should say, Oh no, it was the next night. Cause that was Saturday. And it goes back to WBC is evil. <laughs> so no matter, no matter what happens, whether a guy gets hurt in spring training or a guy gets hurt at the world baseball classic, we're all just arguing with each other about what injuries are okay. All injuries suck and all injuries are fluky. That's the other thing. Brandon Nimmo was sliding into second base. He's done that a million times. And every single time, he doesn't walk away with what appears to be a scary injury. Guys jump up and down all the time. 
And 99.9% of the time, they're not working, walking away with a season-ending injury. Guys get hit by pitches all the time. Just ask the New York Mets. But not all the time do you have a broken thumb. And that's what befelled Jose Altuve. And he's going to miss six to eight weeks. And that sucks. We all know that sucks. Whether it's in Florida at a spring training game or in South Florida at the World Baseball Classic, it all sucks. So I'm not engaging in this cesspool argument about injuries, and that's okay, and that's not okay. They're all terrible. They're all fluky. And the truth is, as a baseball fan, we're just praying to the gods of baseball that we don't have a lot of them because it's very, very difficult to overcome them. And what went through my mind when Nimmo went down, and I think I have a sane brain to discuss this now with Pete and everybody else, is that Brandon Nimmo going down and missing significant time feels like the most damaging injury the Mets could have. And hear me out on this. I believe if Francisco Lindor is hurt, and it's bad, don't get me wrong, if Lindor is hurt or Alonzo's hurt, I feel like there are internal options that will never be as good, but can have an opportunity and at least be somewhat productive. You know what I mean by that? Like, Lindor goes down. We all fell in love with Ronnie Mauricio. He gets his chance, and who knows? Maybe he wins Rookie of the Year. Never going to be as good as Lindor in all likelihood, but you could at least sell yourself on, hey, Mauricio gets a shot, and he plays great. Pete Alonso gets hurt. Maybe you can sell yourself on Brett Beatty moving over to play first base, or Mark Vientos getting an opportunity, or even Francisco Alvarez getting an opportunity. I feel like the Mets' lack of depth in the outfield, especially center field, and the fact that Nimmo is such an on-base machine, he's an engine of this offense, I feel like he'd be more difficult to replace. And that's not to say that if Lindor or Alonzo got hurt, it wouldn't be a big deal. Of course it would be a big deal. They're all big deals. Jeff McNeil gets hurt. It's a big deal. But I think when you look at the lack of outfield depth the Mets have, where think about what their outfield is right now. Assuming everybody's healthy, Mark Canna's not a guy you want playing 160 games. Mark Canna in an ideal world on a really good team, I, I wouldn't call him a fourth outfielder. I'd call him a third and a half outfielder. Like, he could play a lot, but you don't necessarily want him every, every single day. That's your left fielder. Your right fielder, we love Starling Marte, but he's coming off surgery during the offseason. He missed time last year due to injuries, and as he gets older, there's a fear of, hey, we got to keep this guy healthy. And him spending a few weeks on the injured list doesn't feel like a shock. Your fourth outfielder's Tommy Pham. I really don't have to elaborate. It's Tommy Pham. I love Tim LaCastro. He's had a good spring training. It's Tim LaCastro. And then the things I've suggested a lot features infielders playing the outfield, whether it's Jeff McNeil or it's Brett Beatty, or it's Eduardo Escobar. They don't have a lot of outfielders. Their prospects that are on the way up, they're not outfielders. So as I went to sleep on Friday night, I don't know if I just wanted to depress myself even more, but I was basically convincing myself that Brandon Nimmo is the most significant Met, that they can't afford to lose him. Not because he's their best player, but because I feel replacing him seems to be impossible. Now, the good news is they don't have to replace him for any long period of time. This feels like it's a short-term injury. He's confident he's going to play opening day. I'm not confident he's going to play opening day, and that's not the end of the world. 
I went to bed Friday night, Pete, and I said to myself, if he's available by May 1st, that's a victory. That's what I was telling myself Friday night. Well, listen, I thought that he was uh, uh, done for the season as well, just because it's one of those things where, dude, you're right, he slides a thousand times, but that looks so bad. I don't know if, as far as you say he's irreplaceable, I, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if there's one single person on this team that's irreplaceable. I really I really don't think that. I mean, you look at the Grom last year, we felt the same way. And the Grom got injured six days before the season. So it was less time to scramble to get things together. I'm not saying there's ever a good time for injury, but I'm glad it happened now in spring training so we could figure it out and get, get things done. Like Edwin Diaz, by far, that is the worst thing that can happen. He's out for the season. But we have three weeks to fix it. So, like, Nimmo getting hurt week to week, it's fine. And I think LaCastro will be fine. The one thing about position players versus even a closer and certainly a starting pitcher is that a position player affects you every single day. You know, when you're a starting pitcher, even in a healthy season, you're making 30 starts. That's what I like to think now. I don't even think it's 32, 33. I say it's 30 starts. If If you make 30 starts, you pitch the full season. Well, think about that. That's only 30 games that are being affected. Now, you could argue, well, days after being affected, because if your starting pitcher gets knocked out in the second inning as your replacement for Jacob deGrom, that's affecting your bullpen the day after and the day after that. It's totally a fair point. So you could argue, yeah, there are a few other games that are impacted. But as much as I love Jake, and I obviously Scherzer and Verlander are incredibly important to this team, I could talk myself into how you can overcome missing a starting pitcher. Obviously, it becomes two, three, four starting pitchers. That's a problem. So I'm always partial to the everyday player because they impact you every single day. And and to me, it's just the fear I have about this outfield. It is not a deep position group for this team. It it just isn't. And, you know, we haven't seen Beatty play the outfield. Escobar is not going to play the outfield. So really, it's Jeff McNeil. Whenever we talk about an infielder in the outfield, it's Jeff McNeil. And he's fine out there. He is, but the outfield unit can be scary because Starling Marte, you have to try to keep fresh. Brandon Nimmo has always been injury prone until this past year. 2022 was the first time Brandon Nimmo was even able to get to a full season for the most part. I think he had one other year in his career where he was relatively healthy. So it's more the position group and my fear of, wow, if you're down Nimmo for a month or you're down Marte for a month, and dare I say, you down both. How the hell do you replace those guys? And that, to me, is what's scary and why I kind of I move Nimmo up a few notches in terms of, okay, who's the most valuable guy to this team where they can't lose? I get that part. I understand that. And you're right. The, the, the one thing is you keep on going back to the depth is all – middle infielders or, or infielders, I should say, between McNeil, McNeil and Beatty. So that does suck. And I'll tell you this much. I watched the game today with Canna at center field, and that cannot happen. Like, he misplayed a couple balls, and it was scary sight. So you, you got to okay. keep him left field. <laughs> All right, so so then let's, let's look at it this way. So Brandon Nimmo is saying, hey, I'm confident I'm going to be ready to start the year. But he acknowledges, even if he does play opening day, he's not going to go out and play seven straight games or eight straight games, because the Mets open the season with eight consecutive games. So the Mets are going to need various guys to play center field. And let's say Nimmo's being too optimistic, and he misses the first two weeks of the year. Not the end of the world, but he's out for the first two weeks. You've declared, and I'm not even arguing with you, I don't want to see Mark Cannon in left field, uh, in center field. Okay. 
do you want to shift Starling Marte back to center, especially coming off of the injury that he's come off of? Probably not. So now we're talking about Tommy Pham and Tim LaCastro. I mean, that's that's who we're talking about as the replacements replacements for Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, that's probably what it's going to be. Because, and again, like I've said this before, I think Marte is really actually a great fit at right field. I think his arm is great. I think he takes up a he plays a really good right field. He takes up a lot of ground over there. LeCastro has a speed difference, I think, so he can cover ground in this in center field and help over there. His arm's not as strong, if I'm correct. Uh, so it's either LeCastro or Fan, but I'd have to give the nod to LeCastro for now. But you're right. There's no other option. That's basically it. You're going to play Darren Ruff in left field? No, no. So my, my number one option, uh, and it would certainly be peak offense, but not peak defense, would be this is how Brett Beatty makes the team. This is how Brett Beatty is now in the lineup, that Brett Beatty plays third base, Eduardo Escobar plays second base, and Jeff McNeil plays left with Mark Hanna in center. And it's not a good defensive outfield. I acknowledge that. It's probably not going to play nine innings because if you have a lead, late, a lead late, you're making defensive changes, which is fine. I don't think it's a big deal. So your best option offensively, we're just looking at the offense, is that. You're essentially replacing Brandon Nimmo with Brett Beatty. If you say, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that defensively, then to me, it's Tim LaCastro. Tommy Pham is what he is. Guy, guy was crappy last year. He's 35 years old. Like, LaCastro at least brings another element to this team. The speed element. He's out a great camp, which I, I think has to be rewarded. I, I We can't look at spring training numbers and say it's the end-all, be-all. I We all understand that. But Tim LaCastro's hitting 350. I mean, so he's earned it. He's earned that opportunity. But I think if you're looking for defense and you're looking for sturdiness, you play LaCastro or Fam. I prefer LaCastro in center field. But if you're looking for the better lineup, there's your opportunity for Beatty. And it goes back to what I said about LaCastro. Beatty's at a big camp. And assuming they're not viewing Eduardo Escobar as not the everyday third baseman, Beatty can get at bats because of Nimmo being out where Beatty's his replacement, not obviously playing center field, but he's the bat replacement. Beatty third, Escobar second, McNeil left. You're outfield on opening day. McNeil, Canna, Marte. Let's go. So, you know, it's funny. You said that Beatty's had a really good camp and there's some guys that are really sticking out. Question to you, who's someone that's really worrying you? Because I have a few names not so much in the pitching department, but offensively speaking, there's one guy that's just like kind of starting to get a little worried about it now. I'm not worried about anybody offensively. I'm really not because, and, I, and I'm trying to be even about that, where I'm also not putting someone in the Hall of Fame because of spring training. When you're a young guy competing for a roster spot, like Brett Beatty, like Mark Fientos, on the Yankee side, Anthony Volpe, yeah, you got to produce. I mean, we're looking at a competition. So if it's a competition, if we believe it's a competition, then you're going to look at someone's performance and say, hey, that guy's earned that spot. Tim LaCastro's battling for a roster spot. He's earned that spot. But when guys struggle, unless they're on the bubble, I I really very rarely get nervous. There, there are a few occasions in my life where I think there was a Yankee. I'll give you a Yankee example. It's not a bad example. Raul Abanez. One of the years he was with the Yankees had such an awful spring training. He looked so done that I remember being impacted on my opinion of how much he had left. 
in terms of right now in this spring training, the only guy, the only guy I look at and say he sucks is Darren Ruff. But that isn't just because of what he's doing in spring training, three for 20, three for 22, if you include games against World Baseball Classic teams, just saying, keeping the numbers. It's not because of that. It's because he was bad last year, too. So I I wouldn't even say I'm worried about Darren Ruff because of spring training. It's just a continuation of how bad he was last year. You know, Francisco Alvarez hasn't had a good spring training. I'm not worried about him. It it means he's not going to make the team. I don't think he ever was, but I think he makes that decision easier. Tommy Pham hasn't had a good spring training, but Tommy Pham is Tommy Pham. I said to you last time, is there a part of me that says, oh, wouldn't it be great to not have him on the roster? I guess, but they paid him $6 million. He is a major league baseball player, and it really wouldn't be fair to say, hey, he had a crappy spring training, go get rid of him. So my answer to you is nobody. I'm not really worried about anybody who's a veteran who I already kind of know their role on the team. Well, all right, so that's fine. But I look at a guy like Daniel Vogelbach, who he's not having a terrible uh, spring training, but he hasn't hit a home run. And that's something where we continuously say that this is he was brought in with a specific reason. And he didn't show much power last year for the Mets. I mean, what he wasn't killing the ball. And he doesn't have any home runs yet this spring training. I mean, not saying that there's anything with a weight loss that that's changed anything, but I'm just still <laughs> is this the guy? Are we really going to rely long term for the whole season on Daniel Vogelback and whomever? right-handed as a platoon so, at DH. Okay, so let me ask you this. DJ Stewart, the former Baltimore Oriole, hit for the cycle on Sunday. Let's go. And he's <laughs> at a great spring training, okay? He's, he's at a – whatever number you want to look at, DJ Stewart has hit throughout spring training. DJ Stewart is 29 years old. He's been up and down with the Orioles over the last four years. And he hit – I think it was 12 home runs in 100 games a couple years ago. But outside of that, you know, he's a two twelve career hitter who may just be a quadruple A player, but he's had a big spring training. So, Pete, if you're running the Mets, are you basically saying, ah, I got my right-handed uh, versus right-handed pitching, left-handed slugging, slugging DH. I got DJ Stewart. Are we really doing that? No, but I have a, I have a serious concern about Vogelback and the fact that they've gone this way and he really hasn't shown much power over the past the the time he spent here in New York. He really hasn't. But when he was here after the trade, if you're being fair about things, he hit. He hit right-handed pitching. He didn't hit a, a bunch of home runs, but he was productive. Like you have to at least acknowledge that, right? That's that's fine, but one thing that we continue to say about this Mets team is the lack of power they have. I will say, listen, Alonzo has an opportunity to hit 40-plus home runs. Lindor, you easy 20-plus, you feel like, right? Besides that, we're talking about, you know, 15 to 20 max for Starling, Starling Marte and, a, you know, maybe Escobar and a few other guys. We're not, we're not a threat with power. And that's something that we're lack we're missing. And Vogelback, or at least the DH role, is something where it's like we can use an excuse to bring in somebody that has that potential. And instead, we're bringing somebody who's going to be a singles hitter. Yeah, la- last year when they didn't hit enough home runs, I agree with you. Though they did score the fifth most runs in baseball, they got seven home runs from the catching position and eighteen home runs from the DH spot. In which six of those eighteen 
came from Pete Alonso on days in which he was simply DHing. Six of them came from Daniel Vogelback. Four of them came from J.D. Davis. They have to hit more home runs than that. And the expectation is they will. Like if, if I had to make a guess right now, and we're going to do our Mets-specific predictions coming up next week. We'll bring in Sal Licata. You'll make predictions. I'll make predictions. He'll make predictions. And we'll go through it. But one of the numbers I'll throw at, I'll give you a little preview of next week, is 18 and a half home runs. That's how many home runs they hit from the DH spot in 2022. Are they going to hit more? I would definitely say yes. I would definitely take the over on that. I don't know how many of them are going to be Vogelback. I don't know how many of them are going to be Mark Vientos or maybe the guy they trade for on July 28th. Because to your point, if Vogelback isn't productive, if he's everything you fear, then that's going to become the super priority on who and what they have to get at the trade deadline. Or it could be one of these young guys. It could be. Brett Beatty, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say Brett Beatty's going to make the team. I think the Nimmo injury certainly opens up that opportunity more. I'm still believing Vientos is making this over Darren Ruff, though. I, I really, we're getting closer, and Darren Ruff hasn't shown a pulse. He's still a dead body. So maybe that production's going to come from some of the young guys, eventually Francisco Alvarez, eventually Ronnie Mauricio, though I'm not as confident this year. And I know it feels like a broken record because we said that last year, but it's either coming from the guys here now, those guys, or we're sitting here on July 25th, and we're talking about, hey, they're trading for so-and-so, and they're trading for so-and-so. But as far as Vogelbach having a bad spring training, I don't put much stock in it. But basically, how I don't put a lot of stock in what DJ Stewart's doing. Like, is there any part of you that says, hey, Nimmo's going to start the year on the IL. They don't have a lot of good outfielders. DJ Stewart should make the team. Like, has that crossed anybody's mind? No. And listen, you heard him talk to the guys after the, the game today or during the game, and he was like, I'm just doing my best to try to make the team. And it sucks because he's just a veteran who's, try, again, trying to find a role on a team where this, if he wants to play, it's not going to be for the New York Mets. He's got to go somewhere else if he wants to play. Yeah, in the so he's going to be minor league depth, and the Mets are going to need that. The Mets are going to need outfielders in the minor leagues because if there is that nightmare scenario where Nimmo's on the I.L., and Marte's on the IL, and Mark Canna's hitting 225, you're going to need bodies. And sometimes those guys are productive. Nick Plummer. Nick Plummer hit a big home run against the Phillies. I, I can't ignore that. You want to win 101 games? I want to win 101 games. There's going to have to be a moment where maybe in the middle of May, DJ Stewart shows up at City Field and hits a big three-run home run. I mean, that's just, that's the reality of it. The, the one thing I learned, though, from what happened to Brandon Nimmo is that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't prevent injuries. We talked about this a few Ricos ago that Brandon Nimmo was open and honest about, hey, I got to keep myself healthy. And what happened last year after the lockout is I didn't play a lot of games before opening day. And then I had a year in which I was very healthy. So I want to try that again. And that's why Brandon Nimmo didn't play in any spring training games over the first few weeks. Brandon Nimmo started to lighten his workload a little bit, thinking this is going to keep me healthy. We want to keep guys in bubble wrap to keep them healthy. And I think we've learned over the last few weeks, whether it's going into an international competition or it's not playing any games for the first two weeks or it's walking into a locker room, you may get hurt. There is no exact science to keeping guys healthy. 
It's just, it's, you basically have to keep your fingers crossed. With Edwin Diaz, as the fallout continues on this, uh, the reality is this sucks, and the Met bullpen has taken a major, major hit. And as experienced as David Robertson is, and as experienced as Adam Ottavino is, and Zach Britton, if they sign him, there's no replacing the most dominant closer in baseball. And you can't replace him. You basically just need guys to step up and be good. Not great, because I think great is an unfair expectation. I don't have great expectations for David Robertson. But what I need and what we need is for this to not be a disaster. That's the key. And I, I can already feel it now. Opening day, Scherzer pitch is great. Six innings, one run, and the Mets blow it in the ninth inning. And it would be Panic City. I, I, I Panic City would return if the Mets lost on opening day because of a blown save in the ninth inning. Blown save in the eighth inning, eh, it'd be bad. It wouldn't be as bad. If it's the ninth inning and someone other than Edwin Diaz is out there, which is going to be the case, and the Mets lose, I can feel it now. I can feel it in the pit of my stomach. That is going to cause mass hysteria amongst Met fans. And I can't can lie I, to you and tell you that I'd be calm because I'd probably be freaking out too. Can I tell you something? Last year, if you recall, uh, I think they won 10-3 at home, the home opener. Right. Uh, it was 10-1, it was and, and it was garbage time. And I forgot the pitcher that came in and gave up like two quick runs or whatever it is. The boo birds started to come out. <laughs> so if there's some sort of blown save to start the season – I mean, people may start to riot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I, I may be a part of it. I admit that. I can be calm and cool on March 20th. But once we get to April, every game feels bigger. Edwin Diaz apparently is very optimistic about coming back and coming back soon. There was a great piece in The Athletic and, and two things I took out of it. Number one, Steve Cohen is this incredible owner. He is so not the Wilpons. When Edwin Diaz got back from surgery, to greet him at his home was a nutritionist, a trainer, a personal therapist, all courtesy of Steve Cohen. <laughs> and his attitude is, you know, we treat everybody like family. We want Edwin Diaz to feel like he's a part of the family and that we're going to work with him to get better. So that's great. And that's sweet. And that's fantastic. Edwin Diaz apparently is telling confidants he thinks he can come back this year. So I want to nip this in the butt right now. While it's not impossible, okay, I think the quickest you can come back from a procedure like this, at least we've seen, is six months. Well, you do the math on six months, that's the middle of September. That's not the middle of October. That's the middle of September. So I guess is it possible if Edwin Diaz is an incredibly quick, speedy recovery guy, that he could come back in September. Of course it's possible. I'm not going to be the guy that says it can't happen. I'm not a freaking doctor. I have no idea. But what we need to do for our own mental health as Met fans is to not expect Edwin Diaz, is to not ever think, but we'll get Edwin back in September. It's just, there's so many reasons why we shouldn't do that. Number one, it's probably not going to happen. Number two, if it did happen, can we expect him to just show up and dominate like he like nothing happened? I I can't expect that. I don't know if anybody could expect that. I'm not even sure, not that we should have this discussion, if I'd put him in the ninth inning if he came back. I don't know if I would. I'm not sure. 
So it's great that Edwin Diaz is motivated and is confident, and that would be awesome. I mean, it would be. I, who am I kidding? Edwin Diaz walks out into the mound late September with the trumpets blaring. There would be an electric atmosphere. I get goosebumps thinking about that. But it's probably not going to happen. That's not to be negative. That's not to, it's just about, let's be realistic. And let's also not talk ourselves into thinking that something like that can happen. But it's great that he has that confidence. That's, That's fantastic for him. That's one thing that Billy Epler said too, was he's like, we're not going to talk about this for a long time like he's out for eight months that's it like we're not going to take questions on how long his return is going to be if how it's coming we're we're just going to ignore that like that's what he said the first day because it makes sense if you give anybody like edwin diaz seems like the type of dude that would want to come back as soon as possible that if he can get back there in september or hell october playoff push he wants to be there but to even throw that out there and to have people think that, oh, well, we can rely on that, you, you just can't. So just kill it now. And I will tell you this much. You're probably wrong. I think the Wilpons would do that. However, to go with the therapist and the whatever, the, the, the nutritionist, however, at the end of it, he'd get a bill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you owe us this much, Edwin. <laughs> I brought this up to Joe, to Joe Beningo, and Joe's first reaction was, and it's the right reaction, if the Wilpons owned the team, he, Edwin Diaz wouldn't be on the Mets. <laughs> he would have been gone. Like, yeah, they, they acquired him via trade. But then when he's in, hitting free agency after this dominant season, he'd be gone. He'd be out of there. Uh, so one other interesting thing that happened over the weekend, it happened on Sunday after the Mets uh, pitched a game in which they lost to the Cardinals 8-7-9-8, something like that. doesn't matter. David Peterson pitched four scoreless innings. He walked a bunch of guys. So he wasn't thrilled. But bottom line was he didn't allow a run in four innings, and he's got really good spring training numbers. Tyler McGill did not pitch well. His defense behind him wasn't good. He also walked five guys. But overall, McGill's had a good camp. I'm not going to freak out over what happened against the Cardinals on a Sunday. But Buck Showalter said the Mets are considering a six-man rotation first turn through. And it makes a lot of sense first turn around because, as we've talked about, the Mets don't have an off day. And there isn't going to be any rainouts because they're playing in Miami and they're playing in Milwaukee with the Domes. So they are going to play, barring something unforeseen, seven consecutive games to start the year and then probably an eighth because their opening day is at City Field on a Thursday afternoon. I only say probably eight because that there could be a snow out. There could be a rain out at City Field. Can't rule that out. So they are scheduled to play eight consecutive games to start the year. At minimum, there'll be seven. And keeping Verlander fresh and keeping Scherzer fresh and even keeping Senga fresh, who is not used to pitching on four days rest, it's going to be paramount. It's going to be important. And if you want to come right out of the gate, I think it does two things, by the way, coming right out of the gate with six guys. Number one, you keep everybody fresh right out, right, right from the beginning. You're asking guys to now up their pitch count and up their workload immediately out of spring training. Doesn't hurt to give them an extra day. But the other perk of it is you almost extend the competition between David Peterson and Tyler McGill. You almost say to both guys, look, you both have, have sort of earned this. David Peterson was more consistent over the course of 2022 every time he was asked to fill in the rotation. But Tyler McGill was great in April. 
He was fantastic. So you're almost telling both guys, hey, look, you're in the rotation. And then you see what happens first turnaround, second turnaround, and go from there. If they do go six-man and Buck sticks with the plan of Scherzer pitching the opener and Verlander pitching the home opener, that would leave them pitching on back-to-back days. Then you don't need to split them up. So you could go right out the gate. Max Scherzer on the opener against the Marlins. Justin Verlander, day two. Let's say Carrasco and Senga, three and four. You may want to split them up, by the way. I'm not saying this would be the order. Then you go Peterson McGill for the first two games in Milwaukee. Scherzer makes his second start to wrap up the series in Milwaukee, and that lines Verlander up, extra day of rest, to pitch the home opener. So we'll know early, because I do trust that that be their plan, symbolically, to have Scherzer pitch opening day, Verlander to pitch the home opener. But if they're going to go six-man rotation, then they would keep those guys back-to-back. I think it's a great idea, and I hope the Mets do it. I'm a proponent. I said this before the injury to Quintana. I would consider six-man the entire season. I would. Now, if guys get hurt, and we're already down Quintana for three months, but let's say you're down another guy, you could keep it at five. I don't think you have to necessarily always keep it at six, but I wouldn't have an issue in April of all months. Why not? There's going to be rainouts. There's going to be doubleheaders. And that's the time of year where you just want to make sure for the two old guys and for Kodai Senga, who's getting used to a new baseball, he's getting used to a pitch clock, he's getting used to being in America, he's getting used to not having the extra day all the time. I'd keep that going for the entire month. And if both guys pitch well, I would definitely keep it going for the entire month. So this is really good, too, because I know Scherzer says he well, he likes to pitch more. But as a whole, we really have to con- concentrate and consider the fact that last year he wasn't healthy. And not saying that it's because of the amount of innings he pitched or whatever the case is, but we want to make sure that towards the end of the season he is healthy. So, And, to, and let's be fair, if he's having a good game, you're not really going to want to pull him you know, if he throws 100 pitches right away. Like, what you, you want to give him length in the game he's pitching, but this allows you or us to monitor his innings and we'll be able to stretch him out. And he can't, like, he can't stay in a game longer, you know, he's because he doesn't pitch as, as frequently. He's got that extra day off. So where you're saying it's like, what, 32 stars typically? It's going to be more like 27, 28. Yeah, if you take 162 and you divide it by six, that's only 27 starts. So if you stuck with a firm six-man rotation and there were no injuries and there were no skipping starts, you're making 27 starts. And I think the sweet spot number, assuming there's no injury to Verlander and Scherzer, is right around that number. Like, that would be the number I'd feel good at because this isn't about, hey, I want them to make 33 starts. I don't think we live in that world anymore. As much as I used to love that, you know, starting pitchers, making 30 starts, throwing 200-plus innings, trying to win a Cy Young, I I would have no emotional attachment to Scherzer or Verlander winning another Cy Young. Like, I don't care. When R.A. Dickey won a Cy Young, it was a big deal for us. When Jake won his Cy Youngs, it was a big deal for us. Verlander or Scherzer adding on a Cy Young, whatever. (laughs) I don't care about that. I just want them ready to go in October. And both guys throughout their careers more recently than ever have shown you the propensity 
of not pitching well in October, and it could be connected to being worn down. So 27 is a, I like that number. And I'd sign for it today because it means they're not spending extended visits on the injured list, which nobody can predict. I can't sit here. That's going to be the toughest thing about our Met predictions when we make them next week. How the hell do you predict injuries? You can't. I mean, who the hell saw Edwin Diaz jumping up and down and tearing up his patella, whatever the hell he teared up? I'm sure... I'm sure Frank the Tank had that before the uh, the spring training started. He nailed it. Yeah, he was the one. <laughs> <laughs> the Mets claimed uh, Dennis Santana off of waivers. He's out of options, so I guess he's in the mix to make the back end of this bullpen, which has more open spots than we thought because of A, Edwin Diaz going on the IL, but also have we heard an update on Brooks Raleigh? Like, is he making the – is he going to not be on the injured list right out the gate? We also know Zach Green's out. They returned him back to the Yankees a couple of days ago. So we'll see if this Dennis Santana can get himself in the mix. One other thought on the DJ Stewart cycle that he hit. The last spring training cycle was by a Met in 2020. Chashweni Fargus had a cycle. How about that? And it reminds me of the most epic spring training performance I've ever seen. And it's not Butch Husky. I want to warn you. As great as Butch Husky was back in the day. I don't know why this one is so vivid in my memory. It's probably because I missed baseball so much. But in 1995, uh, obviously, it was a mess. They were they were going with the replacement players. And then eventually, there was a settlement between the owners and the players. And they started spring training like April 5th. So we had a quick spring training, but it was an April spring training. And then they started the year last week of April. So we were all just gassed for baseball, excited for baseball. And Henry Rodriguez, left-hand hitting outfielder, played for the Expos, played for the Dodgers, had a pretty good career, Henry Rodriguez. Hit four home runs against the Mets in a spring training game in four at-bats. Home run, home run, home run, home run. I think the last one, and I don't even know if you could look this up, was on a 3-0 pitch, <laughs> which stuck with me. Like, this son of a bitch, he so wants four home runs in a spring training game. No one's going to remember this, except I remember this. That was the problem. Henry was right. And he had a huge spring training, hit the four home runs, and it may have been like the last or the second to last day of spring training. And for whatever reason, that performance sticks out of me. <laughs> That's the most, if someone ever asks me, and no one did, but I brought it up myself. Hey, Evan, what's the most epic spring training performance you've ever seen? I'll always say I was Henry Rodriguez, man. Dodgers, Mets, spring training. You know, back in the day when the Dodgers trained in Florida, at Dodger Town, Vero Beach. That guy hit four home runs against the Mets, and I have no idea what he did that season. Probably had a bad year well, I can get clarification on one thing. He batted 405 in spring training, and the final home run, according to Bob Nightingale, was on a 3 0 count. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was on a 3 0 pitch, by the way. How about this? I'm so proud of myself. In 1995, Henry Rodriguez had one of the worst seasons of his career. <laughs> Shows you what spring training means. He was actually um, traded to the Expos in the middle of the year. So for the season, 
He missed a lot of time. He must have been hurt. He played 45 games. He hit 239 with two home runs and 15 RBIs. The following year, where he doesn't hit four home runs in his spring training game, he hit 36 home runs, 103 RBIs, 887 OPS, one of the best years of his career. So clearly, that four home run game, you could say either sparked him a year later or caused him to have a really crappy 1995. Uh, I just want to bring up something of note. And uh, just because I'm watching live right now, the World Baseball Classic, and Trey Turner has hit another home run. He's now got three home runs in two games. Thank goodness that this division is now we don't have to play guy play teams 19 times because he's going to be a pain in the ass in Philly's uniform. And I made a tweet yesterday, and people were like, oh, he never wanted to come to New York. Blah, blah. The fact is that the Mets were considering him to maybe play for this team, figuring out how to make it happen. And true, maybe he wanted to play a shortstop. If the Mets were really serious about bringing Trey Turner, they gave they gave Carlos Correa a contract. They gave him an offer for a ton of money. If the Mets were really serious, they probably, I mean, honestly, could they have gotten Trey Turner to play anything else besides shortstop to come here? He wants to play on the East Coast. He says how much he loves New York or playing in City Field. Was that even a real possibility? I, my my guess is probably not, but it's just a guess. You know, if you the, the fact that he was going to have to move positions. He didn't have that connection to Lindor that Correa did, where Correa was willing to move positions, but only to be teammates with Francisco Lindor. The, the question I have about the Mets, and it's such a weird nitpick because Steve Cohen has spent so much money, and I'll get to his season ticket gift in a second because I think he spent a lot of money on that too. The timing of the Met offseason was always very weird to me. You know, the, the message they sent to Aaron Judge that was revealed in the athletic expose on the judge negotiations was that the Mets said to Aaron at the winter meetings, look, we need to sort out our pitching and then we'll talk to you. And it's like, what? why can't you do two things at once? Clearly Steve Cohen didn't have a budget. Clearly Steve Cohen wasn't working under a payroll parameter. So if you knew the pitching situation was, hey, we're going to lose DeGrom, we don't really want him. We're going to replace him with Verlander and eh, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett. We really want Kodai Singa, Jose Quintana. You can do all of that while negotiating with a big bat. And if you were willing it, and here's what I agree with you, Pete. If you're willing to give 300 plus million dollars out, I, I like you. And I think most people would have preferred Trey Turner over Carlos Correa because Trey Turner's better. I don't think that's a controversial statement, is it? Trey Turner's better. I'm an independent observer on this. I, we don't have a connection to either guy other than the fact that Correa was a Met for about a week and a half and Turner, you know, we saw him in the National League East for a long time and we're going to see him in the National League East for a longer time now. So I, I don't know if the Mets were ever going to get him. I would say probably not. And that's why it doesn't cause me sleepless nights. Same thing with Judge. The Mets were never getting Aaron Judge. They just weren't. Aaron Judge wanted to stay with the Yankees. God bless him. Trey Turner wasn't moving off shortstop and probably had a preference for Philadelphia because of his relationship with Bryce Harper. With that said, Trey Turner is a tremendous baseball player, and it sucks that he's back in the National League East. It does. And credit to the Philadelphia Phillies. They had this weird year where they underachieved in the regular season, were fortunate to make the playoffs, got hot at the right time, and went to the World Series 
and they still had a really aggressive offseason. They still didn't they didn't do what the Mets did after 2000, which was, ah, we won the pennant. We can lose Mike Hampton. We don't have to go after A-Rod. The Phillies took a very aggressive approach after winning the pennant, which I commend them for. I do. But don't let Turner calls you sleepless nights, Pete. I don't think the Mets were ever getting him. I really don't. It'll be it'll be a sleepless night when he's uh, walking games off of the Phillies against the Mets. Dude, he's, that, that's he's the only a, issue. He's I a have, tremendous but. player, and the one be, the one thing that helps the Mets a little bit. And I'm not talking about the amount of games against the Phillies because you're right. There's just a lot less games against your division rivals, but you're still competing with them. You still have to finish with a better record than them to win the National League East. But no Bryce Harper for the first few months weakens that lineup a little bit. But it is a fearsome lineup. When you think about Castellanos is going to have a bounce back year, Kyle Schwarber, who gives me nightmares, gives us all nightmares, Reese Hoskins in a contract year, Trey Turner, Alec Bohm, who's become a player, JT Realmuto. It is a very, very good lineup. Um, I mean, there's no denying that. That's a very, very good lineup. And the Phillies are likely to win a hell of a lot more games than they won last year. But we'll get to that when we make our predictions and we've got a lot of predictions podcasts coming up. We're going to do one specifically on the Mets, specifically on player performances and the team's overall performance. And then we'll have one where we'll go more around the National League East and the rest of the National League and the rest of baseball. Now, let me get to this season ticket gift because this has been going on forever where the Mets and really every team will send you a box. Now, back in the day, that box would feature tickets. You'd open the box, there'd be tickets, you'd have to rip it off of its out of its booklet, you'd have to split them off, maybe divvy them up, and you had 81 games times two, 162 tickets. A few years ago, the New York Mets, like every other sports team, said, what are we doing? We don't need tickets. We're going to save trees. We're not going to cut them down. Everything's digital. So in lieu of tickets, they would still send you something. They'd send you a gift. And they sent gifts before that. But now the gift took on big meaning because you're not sending me tickets. So what the hell are you sending me? You better make it a good gift. Otherwise, you're just wasting on postage. Like I'm opening a box of what? So my favorite, one of my favorite Met gifts that they sent, and this was during the Wilpon year, so I'm going to give them credit was in 2012, which was the 50th anniversary of the franchise. They gave everybody a Met jersey, and you got to pick the number and pick the name on the back. So a lot of people would pick their own name or they pick a favorite player. That is famously where I got my 26 Baronia jersey from that beautiful present that the Mets sent. Rico Bronia, by the way, the reason why this podcast, because I, I still get emails about this. I, I love the podcast, Pete Evan. Why is it called Rico Bronya? I like Rico Bronya. That's it. There's no backstory other than that. He was a hell of a ball player. I loved his defense at first base. If you go back in the archives, we have a great discussion with Rico Bronya in which I basically professed my love for him. So go back and listen to it. It was during the offseason. So that was one of my favorite giveaways. Last year, though, the bar was set very high. As Pete remembers, the Mets sent a box. You'd open the box up, 
and there'd be a video in the box with the history of the team, 60-year anniversary, and it would be like a five-minute video, dramatic video, talking about the history of the franchise. What could be cooler than that? So here's what they did. Is it cooler? It may not be cooler, but better. Because that box that they sent me a year ago, I opened it a couple of times. I watched the video. Now what? I haven't opened it up in a year. (laughs) It's not like I keep it around the house, then I reopen it. So they sent me something this year that is going to be useful for the rest of time. And when I first opened it up, I had no idea what it was. I was like, what the hell is this? And there was a pamphlet teaching me, oh, you can set this up. It was called a tidbit, a T-I-D-B-Y-T. And it was a scoreboard, like a mini scoreboard. And I'm like, did they send me a scoreboard? What is this? So I go online and look at this tidbit. I learn how to kind of sign up for it because it's got to connect to your Wi-Fi and you got to download an app and then your app's connected to it. You could put whatever you want on this. They'll give you the weather. They'll give you the time. They'll give you the Met score from the day. They'll display messages. And I went online to the Tidbit website. It costs $180. Steve Cohen sent a $180 piece of technology to me and other season ticket holders. So I kind of have to give that the edge, Pete, because I can use that. My wife can use that. She thinks it's, you could put stocks up there. Like I was looking at the different features on this tidbit. Basically you can put whatever you want. They've got a clock with the time. They have a reading challenge where I guess you could put how many books you read in the week and it'll show you how many books you still need to read. It'll put sports scores. They got football. They got baseball. They got basketball, ESPN news, NHL scores, NBA score. Oh, crap. I see the Nets game. Yeah, they lost 108-102. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder, you stupid Fitbit. It'll tell you there's one for standings. It'll have the standings flip. Basically, whatever the hell you want can be on this screen that looks like a scoreboard. Bro, Steve Cohen sent me an expensive gift. So wait, first of all, how big is it? Is it is it like the size of like a like a, a like a laptop, like an iPad? Like wh- how how big is the screen? A little bit smaller than an iPad. Okay, a little bit, not as tall, but just as wide. Like a nice looking score. I took a picture of it on my phone. Obviously, this is a podcast, but I can show Pete, and then he can describe it to the people. Would you like to see it? Yeah, I would. Lo- I would love to see it actually. <laughs> all right, here we go. I'm going to show it to you. And then you could uh, tell the people what you think of it size-wise. And what is that that's sitting on a desk right now? Yeah, I put it on. Um, don't don't analyze everything that's on. No, my I'm desk. just compare. I'm comparing it to sizes to some other things that you have on there. It's, it's a like a smaller size. iPad. Would you agree? Yes, I, I definitely would. And it is. It's definitely a scoreboard. It's definitely a scoreboard, dude. It looks just like a score. I thought Steve Cohen was sending us like a mini replica of the Mets scoreboard, which it is, except you could put whatever you want on it. Now, the problem with this Mets score, which I put up, so right now my default is the Sunday score, Cardinals 8, Mets 7, Mets had 14 hits, Cardinals had 9, is I can't do that because the game's I DVR. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) 
I said that to my wife. I was like, honey, I can't do the scores thing. She's in favor of the weather. She's like, look, it'll be useful for the family. As we're eating breakfast, we could see the clock and we could see the temperature outside. I said, great. That's but dude, there's a million different options. And I, I just can't get over it. Like it's a $200 gift for, I, I know that season tickets cost. Trust me. It's a lot more than $200. You know, it's thousands of dollars, but still, this is the world we live in now with Steve Cohen. Next year, he's going to send me a check for ten grand. <laughs> he may send you the same therapist or, or nutritionist they said that with Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good last season uh, ticket gift, Stevie. I got to tell you, very impressed. No, and it's actually useful too, which is like, like you said, like when you look when when you first say a scoreboard, I'm like, what am I going to do with it? But you're right, like if you're sitting there, like in the morning, you go downstairs, you, you eat breakfast, whatever you're doing, and boom, it's right there, everything's right in front of you. You just have to look up. It's 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 already planned. It's great. It's, it's a it's beautiful useful. thing. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve Cohen. We'll obviously have another Rico Bronia Monday night after another Met gets hurt. Probably after Pete Alonzo gets it. No, I'm kidding. I, I didn't want to put that in the atmosphere. No, but we will give you an extra Rico this week because throughout spring training, I've said over and over again, we're going to do a whole podcast about potential radical realignment. And we've never done it mainly because there's always something going on in spring training. Like we haven't had a slow couple of days. So I figure we're just going to give you a bonus episode. So look out for that sometime this week where we discuss radical realignment. We got a lot of preview editions coming up as we get you set for opening day. And obviously the latest on this Met roster, which we're not going to be right about when we made our roster predictions because guys are going to be on the injured list. <laughs> that was the always the caveat when you make these roster predictions. You can't predict injuries as much as we try. So a lot of Rico's coming up over the next two weeks as we creep closer and closer and closer to opening day. We are a week from Thursday away from Mets, Marlins, a Contra Scherzer. Let's freaking go. Could email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and downloading. I'll be with Craig, two o'clock on the fan, Pete producing Tiki and Tyranny. Thank you for listening to Rico B. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.